My name is David Epstein. I'm a visiting scholar at the American Bankruptcy Institute. I am joined today by Dr. Lamont Black, an economist with the Federal Reserve Board. He is joining us to talk with us about a recent paper, a paper he's completed entitled The Effect of TARP on Bank Risk-Taking. This paper is available on the Federal Reserve Board's website, and it's also available on the Social Science Research Network, SSRN. The paper includes the standard disclaimer that it reflects the views of the author and not necessarily the views of the Federal Reserve Board. Dr. Black, do you want to repeat that disclaimer? Sure. These are uh, our views and do not necessarily reflect those of the board or the other staff. Okay. Just to put this in some sort of a context, I guess we go back to 2008 and $700 billion of TARP money that I take it went to nine of the largest banks first, but ultimately was not limited to uh, merely large banks. Uh, Dr. Black, am I correct that the primary expressed purpose of TARP was to uh, preserve safety and soundness of banks? Yeah, so... One of the things we talk about in the paper is to try and understand what the purpose of TARP was. And, um, you know, as you may recall, when it was originally formed, it was actually created for the purchase of toxic assets, uh, basically trying to take them off the bank balance sheets. Uh, But it was decided that that was going to be too difficult to set up that type of um, process. And so then... They formed the Capital Purchase Program, or CPP, which was designed to inject capital directly into the banks. Um, and so from that standpoint, it, we really argue that it was, uh, I think, originally created to stabilize the banking system, as you said. But um, we also talked some about the evolution of that and the public dialogue and how there then was this increased pressure to use those funds to make loans going forward, which, you know, is a slightly different purpose. Then it becomes a little bit more about stabilizing the economies through the, or stabilizing the economy through the banking system. But when you talk about toxic assets, or when we talk about the safety and soundness of banks, didn't pre-TARP risk-taking by these institutions contribute to this concern about safety and soundness of banks? Isn't that in part what resulted in so many toxic assets? And and, and yet your paper seems to focus on and emphasize the importance of bank risk-taking post-TARP. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, most people, I think, have come to the conclusion that there was probably more risk-taking by the banks than would have been preferable prior to the crisis. There are certainly some people who would argue that they were caught off guard just as much as anyone else. Um, you know, most of those toxic assets were mortgage-backed securities, and the losses on those assets were largely driven by the the rapid house price declines in the housing market. And, you know, it is debatable whether the banks uh, knew any better than 
the person on the street that we were really going to see such uh you know historically large declines in the housing market um and so you know there is some debate about it but uh, i think you know there is still this general concern that the risk taking was probably more than it should have been and that is yeah that's the main focus of the paper is trying to think about how the risk taking then um evolved following the the tarp injections well starting with where your paper starts and in, in, in starting with this sort of other purpose of tarp of of increasing credit availability uh looking back at 2008 could banks expand credit lending at that time without increasing risk taking no probably not i mean that's really the heart of the crisis and um you know when you're going into a down economy and moving into the recession then the credit worthiness of borrowers is really deteriorating and so you know part of why we try and frame the paper uh in the context of bank lending uh and credit availability is that you know part of what banks do is take on risk and that's uh you know taking on risk is not a bad thing in itself and you know if you're asking banks to make loans during a recession then kind of uh by the nature of that type of lending you're asking them to take on more risk and so you know if they were extending greater credit and willing to take on more of that risk then if you see the TARP program as as trying to encourage that type of behavior, then that uh, could arguably be a success. In earlier comments, you alluded to the role that uh, the collapse of the home mortgage market had on financial institutions uh, pre- and post-TARP. Now, does your paper look at all post-2008 lending by TARP banks or only commercial and industrial lending? So we only look at commercial and industrial lending, and that's really um, due to the nature of our data set. So we're looking at loan-level data from the Survey of Terms of Business Lending, which is a survey um, run by the Federal Reserve, and it, it just it focuses on C&I lending. So we just don't have that same type of information on housing loans. Uh, there are other papers out there that have focused on uh, risk-taking in the mortgage market post-TARP and, and have found similar results. What was the time period for your study? So we're focusing on the kind of the heart of the TARP injections, which was, you know, late 2008 going into 2009. And so we kind of uh, try and dial it back to uh, the fall of 2007 to get a sense of what sort of the risk profile these banks look like during the year prior to TARP, and then we follow their lending uh, into 2010 just to get a sense of how things evolved over time. In your paper, you, of course, provide a very thorough explanation uh, of your methodology, but I wonder if you could give us, people listening to this podcast, sort of a, a brief description of your methodology, uh, addressing, for example, questions such as whether you compared TARP and non-TARP transactions, compared the activity of the large banks with activity of smaller banks. Yeah, so, um, you know, this type of analysis 
you have to be careful on you know trying to compare apples to apples um, because banks can be very different in their uh, business models and, and how they approach risk. And so the I guess the the there's several different parts to the paper. The first part is a little bit more straightforward and just trying to do a comparison of TARP banks to non-TARP banks, as you said. Uh, we split them by size category. So we look at uh, large banks, medium-sized banks, and small banks, and those are split at the uh, $10 billion threshold in terms of assets, so looking at the largest banks, and then the smallest banks are, are banks that are smaller than $2.5 billion. And so then basically what we're doing is comparing large TARP recipients with large non-TARP banks, and we do that by uh, kind of first calculating what is the average risk on the loan originations by these TARP recipients uh, following the injections. So uh, going, this is a quarterly survey. So, you know, they many of them received started receiving those funds in, in late 2008. So then looking at Q1 2009, Q2 2009, uh, and then looking at the average of the risk ratings by the non-TARP banks during those same quarters. And so that gives us our first sense of how were the, the risk ratings on the loans originated by TARP banks changing mm -hmm. uh, relative to the non-TARP banks. And the, the reason that's so important is kind of where we uh, started with this. This is during the recession. And so, you know, everybody's risk ratings uh, had this sort of upward pressure due to um, the the the, the deterioration of borrowers, and so we don't want to just be picking up sort of these aggregate trends in the economy. That's why we're doing this sort of cross-bank comparison. But the the initial findings for this, what, what you might call a difference-in-difference difference analysis, is that for the large banks, the TARP recipients were increasing the risk on their loan originations relative to the non-TARP banks, and for the small banks, you find the opposite result, that the uh, small TARP recipients were actually decreasing the risk on those originations uh, relative to small non-TARP banks. And so, you know, that that's sort of the first thing that caught our eye in doing the study is the, the, the big difference across uh, different size classes. Do you have any theory as to what accounts for that difference? So it's difficult to say. It's, uh, you know... Just something that's in, in our paper, um, kind of trying to interpret that. We we do think that there was some uh, additional pressure on the large banks to make loans with the TARP funds. You know, they're much more in the public eye, and there was actually a congressional oversight committee that started uh, following them and trying to track those funds. And so, you know, if you were thinking that, that large banks were under this pressure to make loans and, and making loans in a recession is riskier, then that could potentially explain um, that for the large banks. Uh, but we actually, so we don't find much of uh, uh, that increase in lending for the, uh, the large banks. And so it does appear to be sort of an increase in risk-taking without necessarily greater credit availability. And that's 
that's where we get a little bit into this the realm of moral hazard mm-hmm. where with the with the largest banks um you know because they're more likely to receive a quote unquote bank bailout then they may have some incentives to to take on that extra risk uh whereas small banks not being sure whether they're going to have that government support going forward um may have to be a little more conservative have there been any other similar studies? There have. Um, Did they reach similar conclusions? Uh, yes and no. So they, um, I'd say the, the study that's closest to us are uh, two professors in the finance department at the University of Michigan, uh, Rand Shin and Dennis Sosura, and they look um, – at the effect of TARP on risk-taking, uh, focusing, they do some on commercial loans, but I would say focusing more on mortgage loans uh, using an entirely different data set, and they do find similar conclusions uh, that the TARP banks appear to increase their risk-taking following the capital infusions. And so we were actually in a session at a uh, conference at the FDIC together, and, uh, you know, that's kind of when we realized that we had very similar findings. There's another paper out of University of South Carolina by Alan Berger that looks internationally at uh, some of the uh, bank bailouts in Europe and finds some similar conclusions. Um, I would say that the the, the one sort of uh, paper that's out there now that contrasts a little bit with us, and I've and I've talked to the author some to try and understand why that is, is a um, new graduate out of Boston College who's now at University of Kansas, Lei Lee, uh, also studied the effect of TARP, but he focused more on um, on the effect on loan supply or credit availability versus risk-taking, and he finds that it did have some positive effects on loan supply, um, which we don't really see in our data. And so, you know, trying to to understand where those different difference result results might be coming from, um, but it does provide an important sort of I think uh, point of caution to us of of not overemphasizing the the moral hazard story because based on his results, it did have this positive effect on bank lending, which which ultimately in some people's minds was the purpose of TARP. Do any of these other studies uh, attempt to explore and explain possible differences between large banks and small banks uh, that receive TARP infusions? Uh, so the really the paper that does that most is the paper I mentioned by mm-hmm. Alan Berger, uh, but again, looking at more European banks rather than U.S. banks. Oh, okay. So, it does. There, I would say ours is the only paper I'm aware of that has really addressed the issue for U.S. banks, um, and so it's it's still a bit of an open question as to uh, why the small banks responded so differently. There are, um, you know, some possibilities that uh, the supervisory um, involvement with the small banks may have been a little bit more close because it's a little bit easier to understand what a small bank is doing. And so they they may have been able to sort of rein in some of that behavior uh, from the supervisory standpoint. But uh, yeah, it's, you know, as far as I know, we're the only ones who have really 
uh, highlighted that, but the, the interpretation is still something we're working on. I noted in your paper uh, that there was some discussion about executive compensation. Do you want to comment on that part of the paper? Sure. So um, the TARP was really formed uh, out of an act of Congress. So that was the Emergency Economic Stabilization Act, or ESA, that was passed by Congress in uh, in 2008. And part of that uh, legislation actually included language about trying to reduce excessive risk-taking, which is, again, part of what motivated us to look at this is, was it successful in that respect? Um, and one of the ways that the uh, Congress tried to implement that was to put on certain uh, restrictions on executive compensation for the TARP recipients. And really the two of the main aspects of that, one was a, uh, a removal of a tax exemption, which, you know, Prior to that, a bank could um, was exempt from paying taxes on certain types of executive compensation that would be performance-based. And so this may be like payment in stock options and so on. And I think the idea of that was that, you know, we want to encourage executives to, uh, to be paid and align with the performance of their firm. But I think the, the, with the banking system in particular, there was a recognition that then that may incentivize executives to actually take on more risk than would be desirable. And so they tried to move executive pay, not to cap the level of it, but to shift the composition of it a little bit more towards, um, I would say, a little bit more towards salary and a less more of this sort of bonus structure. And then they also required the... Um, directors to really certify that their compensation practices were not uh, incentivizing risk-taking. And so there was a little bit more accountability from a governance perspective. And, you know, that's one reason why we were a little bit surprised to find some of our results is that uh, because there was this effort through executive compensation to reduce ex uh, excessive risk-taking, we were a little bit surprised to find some of the, the, the riskiness of loan originations actually increasing at some of these large banks uh, after taking those TARP funds. Dr. Black, I wonder if we could close with uh, the conclusion to your paper and whether I could get you to expand on the last couple of sentences of, of, of your paper. And let me just share those two sentences with our readers, with our listeners, excuse me. Uh, you and your co-author conclude your paper with the following statement. Additional research could evaluate whether it's efficient to inject government funds into banks during a crisis, despite the potential for adverse incentive issues, which we've talked about. This would help in the evaluation of TARP as it relates to bank stability and bank lending. Yeah, so, you know, we kind of think our paper is hopefully a first step to help people think about um, these types of programs going forward. You know, uh, Lord willing, we won't have another crisis for some time, but uh, if that does happen again and we're faced with this question of bank bailouts, um, part of what we try and do this in this paper is explain some of the, the trade-offs that, 
you know, I think there are people who were really against the bank bailouts because they thought it was uh, something that was potentially creating these incentives for banks to just take on more risk. And, you know, we do find some evidence for that. Um, but then there are also very legitimate reasons to, to argue that stabilizing the banking system is important uh, during a crisis so that you don't get these additional uh, uh, problems in the economy due to a, something like a credit crunch. And so part of what we're, we're suggesting with this, these sort of last sentences of the paper is that we think economists should continue to explore these issues so that we're not left with sort of weekend decisions about sort of political nature of do we bail out Bank X or do we let Bank Y fail, but, but rather, you know, if we want to have a government program how do we stabilize the banking sector, uh, recognizing that there there are going to be some adverse unintended consequences, but in a way that ideally will then also uh, encourage lending uh, to Main Street during these uh, periods of economic distress, and, and in a sense trying to ensure that uh, the benefits outweigh the costs. And there will, there will always be costs. So we're not suggesting in this, pa in this paper that these programs uh, should not be undertaken or that they were a failure, but rather you know, understanding that when you put money into banks, then you lose certain control over that from a policy perspective. And they, they, they are private sector institutions and they can decide how to use that money but ideally, uh, some of that money will continue to flow into the economy, which will stabilize the economic sector, which is uh, arguably the purpose of the program and, and, and a good thing during uh, these periods of, of real distress in our economy. Well, Dr. Blank, thank you very much. Your, your comments, like your paper, are very helpful in, in gaining a better understanding of TARP. We're grateful to you for your time. Thank you. Thank you.